Beloved church, happy Sunday. Thank you to all of you who were praying for my family as we traveled to and from Japan over the last weeks. It was an epic trip uh, with my parents and brother. We hadn't been back to Japan in 25 years. And on this trip, my brother and I were able to introduce our spouses and our children to cities that we had called home when we were children and teenagers ourselves. Um, and it was just a wonderful opportunity to reconnect with friends and some of my parents' colleagues with the language and the food and the places, and we all have plenty of stories to share. Please join your hearts with mine now in prayer. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, you who are the solid ground beneath our feet and the source of all transformation. Amen. There is no right way to encounter God, to receive God's blessings. Maybe there is no wrong way either. It's probably taken me longer than it should have to reach this conclusion, but like most of us, I've had to wade through a mess of history and culture that treats spirituality as prescriptive. Here's the diagnosis and here is the treatment. Pray three times a day or trust and obey for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. I cringe a little at those lyrics now, but that was my all-time favorite hymn when I was about seven. It gave very clear instructions, which I appreciated at the time. Prescriptive. This is the right response. The thing is, the longer I sit with scripture and with the centuries of Christian tradition, the more clearly I see that there is never just one way. Never just one right way to follow God or to be a faithful person. This morning, for instance, the lectionary gives us two very different stories of people receiving blessings in the wilderness. Jacob, on his way back to his family's home after years of absence, and the 5,000 who journey on foot to intercept Jesus' boat. I kept looking for threads of connection between these two stories, principles that we could draw out of them to learn something. But friends, there are not a lot of similarities. <laughs> they are in the wilderness, they are in crisis, and they encounter God. That's about where the similarities end. Jacob is in a crisis of his own making. The last time Jacob was home, he had tricked his blind father into giving him his brother Esau's blessing, his inheritance, really. Then Jacob fled and made a whole life for himself, not an easy life. He encountered some duplicitous family members of his own along the way. But now he is returning home. He has his whole household with him, wives, children, concubines, livestock. And he sent word ahead to his brother, but he has not heard back. He has every reason to believe that his brother will meet him with violence. 
So he's divided his household into two encampments to hedge his bets. And then he sets off on his own in solitude into the wilderness, accompanied by fear, maybe grief, regret, certainly exhaustion. Anticipating danger is a tiring way to live. The crowd in our gospel lesson is in a different kind of crisis. They, along with Jesus, have just learned of John the Baptist's execution. That's the beheading that Jesus had just heard of. Jesus' response to the news is to set off with just his closest disciples on a boat to seek a deserted place by himself, probably to grieve, maybe to strategize. But the crowds, when they heard the news, decided to set out on foot to meet Jesus. In some of the Gospels, it seems like this crowd of 5,000 are just enamored with Jesus' celebrity. But in this Gospel, coming so clearly on the, new, the heels of the news of John the Baptist, this feels like a crowd of mourners. Maybe they are followers of John who don't know where to turn now. Maybe they were already followers of Jesus and they share his grief for this lost leader, someone whose ministry was so intimately linked with Jesus' own. Whatever their exact reasons, Matthew indicates that they have come to the wilderness looking for Jesus in the aftermath of this crisis in their community. And Jesus has compassion. Jesus meets with them and cures the sick. He spends all day with them. Jacob is in solitude, contending with the truth of his mistreatment of his brother and all of the ramifications he may be about to face. And the 5,000 are in community, grieving the execution of a beloved leader, seeking solace from one another. If we're looking for something from these stories that shows us how to be prepared for an encounter with God, what posture to take or how to pray, we're not going to find it. It turns out that the vast majority of the Bible is descriptive, not prescriptive. These aren't stories telling us what to do. These are stories showing us what other people have experienced. They describe encounters with God. They do not prescribe how those encounters might happen. What we do see from these very different stories is that God meets them all in very different ways. We don't know whether Jacob knew that his sparring partner was God when they began to wrestle. Maybe he thought it was his brother come for revenge. Maybe he, like so many of us, wrestled in dreams with versions of himself. But by dawn, he's told and he affirms that he has seen God in this exchange. In the push and pull, in his demand for a blessing, in his partner's refusal to be named, but insistence upon renaming him. And even in the wound that leaves him limping, Jacob has seen God.
Jacob received that blessing he demanded. The crowds do not seem to be demanding anything. They seek Jesus out and then appear willing to accept whatever he is able to offer, whether it's healing or teaching or feeding. They might express hunger, but Jesus is the one with the idea of feeding them. God encounters this crowd through Jesus' compassion and generosity, leaving their bodies whole, full, their spirits nourished and comforted. And these are just two of the wilderness experiences from Scripture. There are also stories of people, the people of God receiving bread from heaven, but only enough for one day at a time. There's the story of Elijah, exhausted from fleeing for his life, enduring a storm and an earthquake and a fire, only to encounter a still, small voice in the aftermath. There is Jonah, reluctantly agreeing to God's call to preach compassion to his enemies from the dark wilderness of a whale's belly. And the wilderness is not the only place where scripture describes people encountering God either. There are mountaintops like Sinai and Horeb. There are rivers like the Jordan. There are towers and temples, dinner tables and street corners. There is no one place we need to get ourselves in order to encounter God. There is no one attitude we need to have either. In scripture, we find stories of people who come to God with curiosity and with fury, with despair and with imagination, with demands and with resignation, with openness to God's possibilities and with immediate and persistent skepticism. There is no one way we need to be in order to be accepted and blessed by God. That's what we mean in this church when we use words like grace. We mean that the presence of the blessing of God is 100% a gift. It's a gift that arrives in our lives regardless of where we are on our journey or how we receive it. There is no right way to encounter God and probably no wrong way either. God just is. Sometimes we wrestle, sometimes we hunger, sometimes we feel satisfied, sometimes we walk away limping, and somehow in it all is God. Somehow through it all is blessing, more abundant than we can imagine closer than our breath. Thanks be to God. Amen.